Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Hey, folks. So some of you may have gathered this information already, but I work for Instacart. I've been with the company for almost seven years. I don't explicitly come out and say it often, but I felt I should at least do it somewhat occasionally. And given that the company just celebrated its 10-year anniversary, I figured now would be one of those good times. Instacart is looking for engineers. We're looking for Android engineers. We are looking for people like you who know the ins and outs of mobile and Android so you can help Instacart transform the grocery industry. Now, the most common question I get is, wait, you've been with the company for seven years? That's a long time. Well, yes, it is a long time, but I don't know what to tell you. I've been really enjoying every single year. My colleagues are way smarter than me, so I get to keep learning. They're also just nice, good people, and I think that's personally like the most important reason for me. You've even heard of some of them uh, here in this podcast. The other common question I get, by the way, is, wait, you have an entire team of Android engineers for just delivering groceries? Well, let me tell you, we don't just have one team. We have multiple teams of really smart folks working on this problem. Picking groceries can be, you know, challenging in a fun engineering way. We have like smart carts that do object recognition that all run Android, by the way. So you drop items inside the cart, it automatically recognizes. You can pay right on your cart and then walk out of the store. We work with machine learning folks who, you know, figure out the best way for a shopper to walk through a store and pick their items in the right order, in the best order, search your preferred local grocery store. There's ton of cool projects we're working on. This is just a few of them. I personally think this is a great opportunity and we're hiring a lot of Android engineers. So if you're interested, please take a look at our jobs page. It's at instacart.careers. I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. Or hey, if you want to find out more just on a one-on-one basis, hit me up uh, through email or something. Uh, My email is kg, that's my initials, at instacart.com. Thanks again so much for listening, and I hope you take a look at Instacart as your next destination. Kashik, one of my things that I look forward to the most is actually being on this call with you, um, and it's been that way for years, but we've been so sporadic lately, um, it's even more so now, so I'm excited to be back on a call with you again. (laughs) That's kind of you to say, and the feeling is absolutely mutual. Like, you know, um, life gets in the way, but, you know, this this time like you know these mornings when we record are like some of the most exciting times because you know i get to catch up with you and we get to talk about a lot of interesting things yeah sometimes one of these times we're gonna have to just hit record as soon as we hop on the call just because there's so much good stuff that we will hammer through just uh catching up which could be interesting to a lot of people but in the future a lot a lot of episodes like a lot of podcasts have like you know this pre-recording show i think you know, there's so much stuff that we talk about. Like for folks who don't know, we go a good 20, 25 minutes before we start just, you know, in the name of setting up and making sure we have all our dials and like, you know, our volumes up. Inevitably, we land up talking about like some really interesting things while we're catching up. Uh, maybe one of these days. I mean, what this morning we were talked about hiring in big tech. We talked about interview processes. We talked about the features inside of Google Docs. We talked about... Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, (laughs) Google I.O., all all kinds of stuff. So, which means we have a lot more good episodes coming down the pipeline today. I mean, not today, but soon. That is true. That is true. 
But for today, what I wanted to do is this is specifically a topic I've been wanting to chat with you about because you've definitely done a lot of work in this department. And it's mostly about, you know, hybrid native apps, especially since we've been on this theme, but more specifically on like uh, Basecamp, now I guess back to 37 Signals, uh, has uh, this technology called Turbo, you know, and Hotwire Stara and uh, I forget what's the other one, Stimulus, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and you actually talked to one of the developers there, it was episode 220, you know, this is with Jay Ohms, and you talked about Turbo Native. At the time, it was still pretty early. I think they hadn't completely released all of the stuff that was out there. So the platform has matured more now. And I was actually briefly just looking into this at some point for, like, you know, I think I got linked through a blog post and it stirred up that discussion for me. But one of the challenges I still have is I don't, you know, the names, as much as I like cute names, you know, uh, sometimes it's just hard for me to place what each, what the purpose of each of these things is. now. 37 signals, rails, you know, all, they're usually really good about this stuff, right? It's like a really nice, tight, cohesive package. And I trust that this is also one of those examples. But because I think it was rolled out and I think I focused too much on the individual parts, I've lost, you know, it's like I lost, I've lost the picture of the forest for the trees. So what I wanted to do in this episode is maybe pick your brains specifically on what these technologies are how it plays into Android and, you know, some of the work you've done for like this jumpstart Android project that you worked on. So that's basically what I'm thinking about. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd love to to talk about this. This is something that I've been pretty passionate about. In fact, I've been passionate about hybrid development or cross-platform development for many years now. The What a lot of the listeners probably don't know is that I started very early on with cross-platform development all the way back to when before Xamarin was around, it was called MonoDevelop. Uh, that was one of my first foray into building a cross-platform application. Uh, and the reason why I think this is probably the most important reason is because I have been a part of many early stage startups or many companies that, or even my own companies that I've started where I've needed apps. And it's always been like, all right, I have a very small team, which is usually myself, maybe another contractor or two that are working with me, but I need to get a you know a web platform out and i need the mobile apps to get out and so i've worked with these various different technologies to get them out and we've gone through you know which is now xamarin we've gone through react native we've gone through flutter i've tried all of these uh i really like flutter just because it just it works for the most part for a lot of stuff uh, and a lot of apps could easily easily be flutter but at the same time they could easily be react native and there's always caveats to that games and maps and all that kind of stuff but there are things that kind of work in there but nothing has really felt perfect just yet it felt like we were kind of putting a band-aid on stuff and i've always had this i don't know if you'd say argument but this opinion that the web will win and it's a very controversial opinion when i put it on twitter people just every time i say it people get heated because there's a lot of and i'm gonna say ego investment from a lot of developers that they have developed their um, their identity as a iOS developer, as an Android developer. And when I come out as someone who's in the mobile field, especially Android and say, Hey, I think the web's going to win. People kind of blow their lid. Like, what are you talking about? Like that's that everything needs to be native. It's not more performant. I understand we're not there yet. And when will we get there? I don't know. I have no idea, but I still do have the opinion that the web will win eventually. And where 
Hotwire, Turbo Native um, Android, and Turbo Native iOS comes into the picture is what it starts doing is giving us the best of both worlds. And what do I mean by that? It at a high level, uh, I'm just kind of really hopping into what it is. At at a high level, it allows you to take an existing web application that's built with some technologies, which are Hotwire. We'll talk about Stimulus JS and Turbo. These are the things that have been released by you know the Basecamp team, and with these technologies, allows you to basically wrap an existing web application and create it as a native app. Now, I know everybody in, who's driving and doing the dishes or whatever just rolled their eyes and was just like, I can't believe we're talking about this garbage on this podcast because why would you wrap a web app? I get it, I understand, but hear me out. Let's assume that we have a settings page or an about page that talks about the open source licenses that are inside of the application. Literally the most boring screen in the application. Why does that need to be native? Like, that's my big question. Why does it need to be native? And especially if I have to update it because some weird reason, or maybe there is a, a contact page and I need to update that and I have to update a sh- uh, an app update for that. What if that was just a web view that pointed to a URL and it did the same thing and it was fast and performant and acted almost very spa-like single page arc, you know, application spa, but maybe the rest of my app was native. Or it was native where I needed it. And that's kind of where, that's where Hotwire really comes into play. Allows you to be native where you need it and then delegate to the web for everything else that maybe is not so critical. And what this will allow you to do, and this is is where I tailor it towards people who are starting companies, uh, people who are, you know, uh, startups that are very early stage. Maybe you're an indie hacker and you need to develop a, a web app and mobile apps and you have a very, or you have a very small team one, two, maybe three developers, and you can't afford to have all these different things, but you need these apps or you don't have the budget. If you're using something like Hotwire, you can then, and using Android Turbo Native and iOS Turbo Native, you can easily create a mobile application that wraps the existing web views. And so the interesting part about this is, and we'll get into the details of this is, for Android underneath the hood, it's using the Google navigation library. And then what you can do is basically say, Hey, uh, turbo, anytime this application, the native application is running, anytime the native application inside of the web view, it goes to slash, you know, say you're having like an, a, um, like for me, I'm creating a discussion platform. So anytime you go to slash compose, which is like, you know, you're going to create a new message. Then I want you to show a native editor because maybe it's got these nice, you know, rich text editing things you've built into the native view, or maybe there's the feed and it was slash feed. You want to show a native feed that looks really clean and nice and loads a lot easier. You can do that. You can say in these situations, go ahead and, and wire up and use the native view. Otherwise, go ahead and default to the HTML view. Now there are, I can imagine you have questions already like, all right, well, wait, one is like API based. One is web based. Like how are we managing the state? How are we doing this stuff? So that's kind of like the high level, big value proposition is like native where you need it. Otherwise just delegate to the web and let the web do its job and let it, which you can update on the fly and not have to worry about it. So I'll leave it there. And then we can kind of just, we'll dive into, you know, wherever this conversation goes. For sure. For sure. Now that's perfect. Um, before we jump into the details, like you, you gave a good high level sort of take. I did have some follow up on the high level questions. Yeah, so for sure. I'm going to go through some of those. So one thing you kept saying is 
uh, and this is me pushing back, just like, you know, to play devil's advocate, right? You kept saying, like, if you're a startup, you want to start out, you want to get going quickly. I get that. Let me ask this question. Why why wouldn't we just keep it for, like, you know, because every time we start the sort of discussion of that, it's like, oh, well, but, you know, when I become mature, I'm going to move away from this, right? But is there a good reason or is it mostly just the benefit is so strong that it's obvious? Like, you know, do you get my question? Like, you know, is there a point where this is going to start to not feel like what you should be doing for mature apps? Or was or were you saying that mostly because like the advantage is so evident that you want to start early? No, there is, I'm trying to open up a, an, an app here to see if I can, this, yeah, it still works. And I'll get to why I'm opening up, I actually opened up the Gmail app. They, um, trying to gather my thoughts here. The best way to, to explain this is, the reason why I say small startups, getting going is because this is the area that I have a lot of experience in, especially personally when I'm starting a, a project. A lot of time is people say, well, hey, and you have side projects, I have side projects. People who listen to this podcast have side projects. And what do they do? They build an Android app. But what's the problem with that? You build an Android app and it's good. What's the first question when you go to a dinner party and say, all right, cool, I have an app. And they're like, all right, cool. Is that on iOS? Is that on Android? Like you get that question. You're like, oh no, it's only on Android. And eventually, if your application is useful and gets popular enough, you need it on iOS. And so, okay, what are you going to do at that point? You're going to go now learn iOS uh, or you're going to hire an iOS developer. There's costs and time costs, learning costs, you know, education, all different kinds of costs involved in that. So that's the reason why I always say initially, well, if you're going to be building something and you're small, it allows you to build once, you know, at a, at a high level build once and ship. Now, does that mean that you can't keep it that way? No, absolutely. You can definitely keep it that way. But what I've often found is as soon as you get into a corporation that's more mature, has been around for a while, maybe is a household name application, you get to these situations that you and I have encountered where like, hey, we need to do some type of analytics tracking where we go from this screen and when we click on this screen and when they click on this button on this screen, then we need to make sure we're tracking the analytics to go through that. And then we also want to do an AB test on this screen, but if they're in this AB test flow, then you need to show this other flow. When you start mixing around all of those different permutations, it gets really difficult to do that across the boundaries of native and web at the same time. Now it's possible you still can do it in something like Turbo and Hotwire because there are bridges that will bridge between back and forth that you can do that, but it, it'd be kind of challenging, inelegant. And at that point, you have to either be fully invested into this technology, like, all right, that's just how we're going to do it. We've bought in, we believe that the web is the future and we're going to buy into this, this technology. But most corporations will say, hey, you know what? We just want, we're just going to go all native and the engineering teams decide to go all native and that's where they go. So you kind of need that engineering leadership buy-in of like, we want to make sure that we can be as effective as possible with a small team. And, and this goes back to looking at, at the team at Hey, which is from Basecamp. It's their, their email client, hey.com. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if you listen to episode 220, Jay said that there is two or three engineers on the, each platform that run a very big email client uh, for iOS and Android. And then they have five or six Rails engineers. So overall, if you look at the size of that team versus the sizes of the team that's probably running gmail or yahoo mail or whatever the hot you know the proton mail whatever your favorite mail client is i imagine those teams are much much larger so i hope to answer your question 
it did no perfectly i think yeah that gave me like good insight into like yeah it's complicated as is the case with most of these things right like yeah if you buy in completely it makes perfect sense there isn't a technical limitation in so far as convenience in terms of scaling uh, with development right so i think that makes sense yeah exactly the other question i had is you, you briefly mentioned that you know you can you can instruct uh, turbo or and we'll get to the terminology to you know basically go all native or switch web is it possible like you know can i have a single screen right like where you have a feed but one portion of it is driven by the web and the other portion is all native like can you have like native sort of you know uh, whole, like this portions of the screen where it's all native right yeah and i'm thinking like you have a barcode scanner or something and that you know you just want to use the native libraries or something so just dive in there but the rest of the sort of feed comes from like a web or is it like all or nothing you know like this part of like you know, i'm moving to the screen i'm switching completely into web mode right i'm moving to this full native mode i uh, just sort of curiosity no you could definitely mix and match them there's different hooks that you could hook into like maybe the let's say the feed was html in a web view and then when you click on maybe that little scan button it actually launches a you know a fragment that's a scanner for the, you know the native scanner it can definitely definitely do that so you would the web view is going to be powered through turbo and that's going to create you know which we can get into the authentication but it will then keep the session details for the actual web session and then any of the native stuff will actually you know have to communicate over an api which of course your apis would have to exist to do whatever you want to do but no you can kind of mix and match what you know what's needed got it, got it. that makes sense maybe we dive in now to like the different terminologies this is the most annoying part for me yeah. right yeah definitely <laughs> so this turbo this is hotwire mm-hmm. this strata there's stimulus right uh and turbo is is turbo referred to as the framework that combines all of these three things or it's is it something else where does hotwire come in where does strata come in like so yeah let's dive in there right like can you give me like a breakdown of like what each of these components are and like what like you know do we use all of this for native for android how does that play in there can you just give me a uh sort of 10 foot view so if you're if any rails developers happen to be listening to this you're probably familiar with the you know the, the scary term turbo links which we've ran into if you're a rails developer it was always problematic it never kind of worked perfectly it worked or didn't uh so this is kind of the next generation of that so turbo Uh, it's basically as the documentation says it's the heart of hotwire and so to kind of rewind here what does hotwire mean um it's actually an acronym and hotwire is actually two words the word hot and then the last word wire and the first three letters h o t actually stand for html over the and then wire so hotwire html over the wire and so turbo like name, yeah it's actually kind of cool turbo actually powers hotwire and enables it to happen and what turbo really is it's just a in short it's a a set of uh techniques and basically a set of techniques that are driven through javascript and so forth for making yeah, complex web pages and making them very fast and it basically stream enables you to stream partial changes of a web page over a web socket so you don't have to write any javascript whatsoever to do this so what if you're in rails 7 out of the box is turbo enabled so i mean you can build it into existing apps uh, other ones if you have it and it's all designed with you know if you're using web sockets web sockets are very fast and so the the way to think about this is 
Turbo, when you look at a Turbo application, you look at the actual HTML, there's a bunch of like Turbo tags in there. And there's like these frames, like, you know, you think of like an iframe, but they're just called Turbo frames. They're not iframes, but I'm just using that synonym to kind of draw a correlation. And these tags have IDs on them. And basically it tells Turbo, Turbo is a, a JavaScript library. It's basically running in there and says, hey, as soon as the, the DOM loads, it attaches and starts watching all of these local environments and say, all right, well, here's, uh, excuse me, these local frames, here's all these IDs and here's all of, you know, these IDs of these frames are all things that can be updated in real time through WebSock. And so, so what will happen, and again, this is 30,000 foot view, the page loads, Turbo connects us, oh, hey, I found these five or six different frames inside of, you know, it's going to be, you can think of it like divs almost, divs inside of the, the DOM uh, that can be updated via WebSockets. And so what then it does is it fires up a WebSocket connection up to the server and says, hey, I am connecting up here. You know, let me know when a broadcast happens of something. And then what will happen is, so let's say inside of uh, one of those divs, all of the HTTP verbs like post, get, delete, all those are captured by the JavaScript library. And so you click, you know, maybe you enter uh, some data into a form, you hit the submit button. Normally that would cause the page to refresh and post back. Turbo intercepts that and says, oh, hey, we are going to do an HTTP post. And it basically sends that up over um, a WebSocket to the server. The server then, which is turbo enabled, says, hey, I have received this, you know, this request. And then turns it directly into, whether you have without you having to write anything, says, hey, this was meant to be, say you're creating a, a blog. Kaushik is creating a new blog entry. It's a HTTP post to the blog's endpoint. It will then in Rails execute your Rails controller on the post, send the parameters just as it would normally from a regular HTTP post. The regular Rails code will run. And then at that point, it'll return back the result, which is going to be um, usually a full, there's a couple of things that can happen here. It could be the full HTML page and Turbo will say, hey, oh, we received a, that was from a WebSocket request with this ID. We see that same ID in this response. Let's just take that chunk out. So let's take this chunk of HTML, which is much smaller than the entire page. And we're just going to stream that back down to the client. Turbo then on the client will receive that says, oh, hey, I received an update for this ID. It'll just swap that out for you right there. And you can add animations. You can add all different kinds of stuff. And what this does is make it super fast. So Turbo allows it's a bunch of techniques to stream all the, the partial web page updates over WebSockets uh, and gives you that basically that uh, single page uh, application feel because it's all through WebSockets. That's yeah, actually, this really helps explain a lot of things. Can I like try to just re can I give you a summary of what I understand? Yes. You tell me if I'm understanding something. Please do. Pieces. So, Hotwire is basically what we're trying to achieve, right? Like the goal is like HTML over the wire. Right. So, and I think the point here is, and the way I think about it is, if the people who built Rails wanted to come up with something that wasn't React, you know, because because if you think about in today's world, React, the you know the uh, the web framework super popular today, kind of achieves the same thing, which is like you have a web page and then parts of the page like update and you're able to sort of like uh, asynchronous async. Well, uh, let's say the async part out, but it allows you to update portions of the web page in an elegant way, right? Like, so you build components and React is all about components and that stuff, right? So I guess they came up with 
a sim that, that this is like an alternative impl implementation, but it plays really well with Rails, I suppose, right? And so that's hotwire. That's the objective. Like you know, be able to update your page uh, in incrementally. And Turbo is basically the implement. Turbo is the technique or the implementation to get hotwire achieved. And it could be different. Like you know, uh, you know, the WebSockets is so. I guess Turbo is a library that you import, which is like a mechanism of achieving this. And they have WebSockets that help sort of communicate with you know a Turbo-enabled server. And I'm curious, like how that plays into native, but like so far, am I like sort of following that in the right path? Yeah, you are. And, and Turbo is actually decomposed into about four other little areas. So inside of Turbo, mm -hmm. we have something known as Turbo Drive, and that helps handle the the link and form submission component that I was talking about. So it helps negate that need for that full page reload. We have Turbo Frames, which we I talked about those frames. Um, that's where you can divide your page into independent little contextual areas which they can be you know navigated to and lazily loaded uh then there's turbo streams which is the whole web socking component where we're talking about sending things over the wire uh and then turbo native which allows you to take your existing application and put it inside of a android or ios application which runs in a web view context ah perfect though that was a fantastic breakdown thank you like that is super helpful and so so Turbo and the four components are the actual libraries that you import, right? Is Hotwire in itself a library or like, is that like an encompassing thing? Like, you know, it's like the encompassing thing. So if you were to go install, if you look at the Turbo documentation, there's the, in the installation part of it there, you actually see that you can install it from NPM or Yarn and you're just importing Turbo from Hotwired slash Turbo. So Hotwired is kind of the main organization of where everything is located. Ah, interesting, interesting. That okay. So this is starting to make sense. Mm -hmm. And so Turbo Native is the component that basically helps bring this technique to mobile. Is that like how that works? And is Turbo Native is there a Turbo Native iOS, Turbo Native Android, yes. or is it just all the same thing? Yes. So there is. Yes. Great question. So there are two different libraries. One is Turbo Native for Android, and one is Turbo Native for iOS. And this gets into the the area of where we are going to have native where it makes sense. And so I'm just going to talk about Turbo Native for Android since we're, a lot of Android folks listen to this. Turbo Native for Android is a, a library that you can use with your application. And then what it will provide for you right out of the gate is a Turbo, like I think it's a Turbo session. I'd have to look at the docs again here. But basically it gives you a, um, a web view that's managed by Turbo itself. And it has all the hooks. Everything's already built into it. And so all you really have to say is like, hey, Here's the URL that's turbo enabled. You know, so you assume you're using a Rails app. Turbo can, you know, it's platform agnostic. So if you wanted to build some turbo enabled Go server, you could. You would just have to kind of write that yourself. Rails just happens to come out of the box with it already set up. So it's, of course it's easier. So the turbo Android allows you to add this library. And then what you can say is say, hey, here's the URL. And then at that point, you are now inside of a, and this is actually an Android, you know, you'd have an Android application, add this to your Gradle dependencies. And then at that point, you can then start setting up, hey, here's how I'm going to, I need a, a main web, ho web host fragment. And that's where we're going to all the, all of the main web stuff's going to take care of. And that's going to be through Turbo. I think it's a Turbo web fragment. I have to check that out again. 
but that's where all of that stuff's going to happen inside of there. And you get all kinds of callbacks inside of this library. You can let it, because it's based on the Google navigation framework, you can then get callbacks when uh, something is, a destination is navigated to. So maybe you need to do some type of, you know, URL tracking or, or analytics. You can start, you can put in that native code in these different types of callbacks, but the web will still do what it's doing, but you might receive those callbacks in native as well. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So that that actually like plays really well. So this I means a full it's a full Android application. It's it's Gradle. You're building an actual Android APK. It's just packaging a hotwired enabled web experience, and then you point it to the URL that has that experience, and it's off to the races. Now, I don't know if you want to get into where we can kind of how and where is the native component decided. Is that maybe the next question? I'm guessing. Yep. Yep. That's exactly where I was trying to go. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that we are using, and I'll use the perfect example I'm using here. I'm building an application called Stoa. It's a discussion platform. And right now, when you go to the slash users slash sign in on the web, which is a, a route on the web, you'll get a login form. Perfect. Well, what if I wanted it to be native in that regard? Because, and actually I do want it to be native in Android. So what do we do and how do we actually start a native view in there? Out of the box, what Turbo will do is it'll try to load what's known as a configuration.json file. And in this configuration.json file, you'll see a, let me see if I can pull one up here. Sorry. Is this out publicly, by the way, the Stoa thing? Uh, it's sort of, yeah. It's like invite only right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't have the URL on me right now. But what the configuration file actually has inside of it is a path and say, Hey, here's the path. And you can use regex inside of there and say, so if I go do this here, it says the context in which you want it to be in. Do I want it to be a full screen actual view? And that's, you know, it's going to load a fragment basically, or do I want it to be a modal and it will kind of slide up as like a bottom sheet kind of thing. And so what happens is when turbo Android native loads, what it will do is first is it'll load a local configuration as a local backup. And then immediately it'll ask you inside of the application you provide, hey, here's where the remote configuration file is. And that's stored on the server. So you can change that in real time. And so you say, hey, um, here's the remote configuration. And basically the path says, hey, if you go to the slash user slash login, well, then I want you to show a native view. And what it does is it says, hey, I want you to navigate to turbo slash blah, blah, blah. And then inside of the actual native application, you register routes and say, hey, anytime there is a route that's navigated to that matches this path, show this fragment. And so then the nice thing is, let's say that I ship a new feature and I want it to be, you know, I'm going to create a new message, like a, you know, I'm going to create a new slash messages slash new. And normally it's a web view, but now I've created a nice little native UI for it, but I'm not ready to ship it yet. You know, I don't want to turn it on. I can still build all that. I can ship it. I can ship my APK, has all that stuff in there, but my configuration file still does not have that in there. Then what I can do on the server when I'm ready, I can just go on the server and change the configuration file. And then the next time the app starts, it'll load the new configuration file. And anytime someone goes to slash messages slash new, it'll then show my new compose editor or whatever that I'm going to have that's all native. Oh, that's pretty slick actually. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. if I want to turn it off, maybe I'd, all of a sudden there's like, well, there's a huge bug in this. I can just turn that off in the configuration. 
that goes away. It's server-driven UI technically. Now it's just going to default back to the web implementation, which maybe I already know works because I accidentally wrote a bug in the native stuff. Or it's something you can fix easily where you're like, let me switch to the web. I can fix this, roll it out, and I don't have to worry about breaking previous platforms and sort of... Exactly. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That is pretty slick. I kind of like that idea. Is there a notion of versioning that's handled? Like, for example, say I have... This is just specific to this question, right? So say I have version one of my app, version two, Mm -hmm. three, four, and in version two, you know, we discover like that's some... Well, I guess, can you conf- does your configuration accommodate versions of the app or is it like, nope, all apps from version one to four that have this configuration or this route mapped will either go native or they'll go to the native, uh, will either go native or they'll point to the web? Your app, you can determine whatever configuration file you want to. You're pointing it to wherever that configuration file is. So if you just, you determine that version two of my native app, we now need to go, we're changing the way we're doing everything. So we're going to give it a brand new configuration file. And so you can create another route on your server. It'd be, you know, v, you know uh, Android slash V2 configuration. And when that new V2 app loads, it knows to go look for that V2 one. Now, everyone else who hasn't updated their app, they might still be on V1. So you can build versioning in there. It's, it's all up to you if you'd like to do that. Got it, got it. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Stepping a little further. So now when I look at the documentation, I also see Stimulus and Strata. Mm-hmm. What exactly is Stimulus and Strata in the context of mobile? Is it just like not something that we worry about right now or, you know, just quickly before like we go to the jumpstart? Yeah. So Stimulus is, if you follow me, mainly DHH, if you follow him on Twitter, you, you know, he's very opinionated and he is not a big fan of React. And, and I understand why now. Um, I have spent the last couple of years building a React application. And as you had said before, like, hey, it's you know, we're kind of doing the same thing as WebSockets. At a high level, it sounds like we are. However, it's completely different. And the reason why is when you have React and you have a server, you actually have two apps. And that's the thing that most people don't understand. You have your client application, which is a React application. And then you have your API, which is an API application. They're two different things. With Hotwire, you are still using all of your web code, like all of that stuff out there. You're not creating a different, you know, you can create your own API for whatever for, you know, your native stuff. But if you're going to use just a Hotwire enabled stuff, which is the HTML over wire, you're just using your regular web views. And then Turbo is going to figure out like, hey, here's the diff in that HTML, just update that part of the screen. So that's kind of a rewind a little bit. Now where Stimulus fits into this thing is if you need to do something on the client that is more JavaScript based, you need to show some type of menu, you want to kind of move something around, you you want it to be, you know, JavaScript allows it to be, you don't have to post things back. JavaScript is- Asynchronous in some way. Exactly. So JavaScript, the- like Rails, if you've ever used Rails, Rails is very configuration, uh, convention over configuration. So as long as you follow the conventions of Rails, things will just work. You name your controllers a certain way, you name your views, you put them in a certain folder, things will just show up. They just work, which is kind of like people are not used to that. But once you get used to it, it's actually super powerful. You can be very, very productive. And stimulus it's like is the whole build your blog in eight minutes thing that he did, right? Or 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And so I think he actually does that on the hotwire.dev page. He does that in 12 minutes. Again, he builds another blog, all hotwire enabled. It's mind blowing. 
And I think he might even have comments, real-time comments built into it where it'll update on the screen on different browsers. It's crazy. So where does Stimulus fit in? Stimulus is just a JavaScript framework. So since we're not going to be using React, we're not going to be using Vue or anything like that, Stimulus is a JavaScript framework. When you follow the conventions of it, you get to interact with the DOM. So it allows you to write, you know, nice, clean JavaScript uh, by following a convention. And then it just, uh, it's basically allows you to get out from using Vue or, or React and but give you that same type of, of behavior. Now, Strata is not out yet. Yeah, it says it will premiere in 2022. I don't know if it'll come out. I'm not sure. Jay said they were working on it. Um, I have seen a preview of it. Basically what Strata is, it's a the hook into the native mobile framework. And so that allows you to say, hey, anytime this button inside of a native, I'm um, of the web view is clicked, execute native code or vice versa. So anytime I click on a native button, execute some web view code. And so it gives you that bridge. So Strata is basically that web and native bridge. And they're still, from the, the pieces I've seen, it's, it's a very thin layer at this point. Um, and when we get to Hotwire, um, excuse me, into Jumpstart, we actually kind of wrote our own version of Strata, not knowing what Strata really was at the time. Uh, but after we saw the preview, we're like, oh, this is, we've kind of already built a lot of the stuff already. Uh, their stuff is just, you know, formatted a little bit differently. This is perfect because this, like reading the documentation, this was the part that confused the hell out of me. <laughs> I was like, wait, Turbo Native exists, which kind of does the same thing, right? Because like, oh, it's like Strata. But I think what you mentioned is what I, I, and I maybe just understood that distinction now, which is, so Turbo Native is like, here you go. Like this, this, this frame is all like web, like go, go for it, right? Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about with Strata is that you can literally have a native, I don't know, constraint layout and have interactions where like clicking or like doing things or interacting with that constraint layout is actually communicating to a backend and vice versa, where you have like a web view. Actually, the web view one makes more sense, where you have like this web view, so to speak, and a web button, but you want that web button to basically do some like native code, yes. right? like, uh, you know, talk to a room database, which obviously does not exist in the web, uh, and come back and give you results and surface it. That's what Strata is. Yes. Okay, that's a pretty noble goal. I like that, because that takes like the whole, like, yeah, it takes the whole integration you know, to my starting question where like, hey, can you embed you know, native portions in the screen, it takes it to the next level where it's like, it's all like a similar same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it allows you to get that bridge. And that's what I do over in, in Jumpstart. And, you know, for example, the, one of the things that actually I do right out of the gate is I give you a, a native nav bar and I give you a native uh, tab bar at the bottom. And the nav bar, when you click the, you know, the, the hamburger icon, I need to open up the menu. Well, the menu is actually in the web. Like, how do I tell native to open a web menu? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So what we do is, since we didn't, you know, Strata is not out yet, what we have built uh, on both iOS and Android is something we call the Turbo Bridge. It's basically Strata. And what we do is uh, on the Android side, we just have a native JavaScript interface. So you probably remember those, right? You could actually, they're inside of Android if you're not familiar there is a native JavaScript interface that you can attach to a web view. And then what it will do is it'll listen for certain events and you can post message and listen to messages on that actual JavaScript interface. And so when I tap a, uh, a button on the web view, I can send a message, basically send a command to 
the web view to actually execute some JavaScript. And all that really does is just say, hey, open the menu. And it just opens the menu. And vice versa, when something happens on the client and I need it to send it to the native app, it sends a command the other way through the JavaScript interface and says, hey, uh, something happened here like sign out. They've clicked sign out. So I need to sign them out of the actual web client as well as the native client, maybe clear some you know local authentication details or whatever uh, and do that. And so that's handled through the JavaScript interface. That is fascinating. So just backing up a little, like we now that we are in jumpstart uh, territory, right? Yeah. What is jumpstart? Because like, my initial phase was jumpstart is literally the same thing. Turbo hardware start as a stimulus, but like we just make it easy for you to like get started with this platform without integrating each piece. But it actually doesn't sound like that. It's actually much more, which is filling in that startup piece, which it actually adds functionality that does not exist, so to speak. Yeah, so the whole concept around Jumpstart, if you go to jumpstartrails.com, we'll put it in the show notes here. Jumpstart Rails was created by Chris Oliver. Chris Oliver is the uh, screencaster and of Go Rails. He, you know, he's a founder of Go Rails. Uh, tons of great screencasts. He is a, a fellow podcaster. He runs Ruby Rogues with a few other great hosts, uh, and he runs a, a service called Hatchbox.io to to host Ruby apps. And he had initially. What he wanted to do is he, like me, has all kinds of product ideas and he's kind of like an indie hacker. And, and, what, and what an indie hacker is, is someone who wants to go build products themselves and, and put things out there in the world and, and make their own products, uh, usually in the web space. And he had all these ideas and what he would always use is Rails to build them. But he found that he was always needing authentication. So he'd use the device gem. He needed some type of logging. He needed to use some type of bug tracking or crash reporting. So he'd use like roll bar or bug snag or whatever. Um, he needed uh, building. So he'd use Stripe and he found himself building these things over and over and over and over. And finally he's like, why don't I just build a template that has all of this stuff already built into it. And then when I want to build a product, I can just copy the template and just, I can then focus on the business problem instead of the plumbing of getting the billing working and getting the, the account signups and the password resets and it's basically allows you to build a product faster with Ruby on Rails. And to me, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This solves all kinds of problems for me. I was already a Rails person and I bought a license to it a couple of years ago and just dug deep into it. And then I think it was last year, early last year in 2021, he released with uh, Joe Mazzalotti, um, who's an iOS developer, uh, Jumpstart iOS. And it was because he enabled Jumpstart Rails to be Hotwire enabled. They released the iOS version. And all of a sudden, I, that's when I didn't even know about what Hotwire was. And I'm like, how are they doing this? And I dug into it and I was like, oh, this is for Android too. Spoke to Jay Ohms. I uh, had him on the podcast. And uh, I spoke to Chris. And the idea around the iOS and Android applications is like, look, take this existing template product that gets you all the plumbing out of the way for starting a business out of the way for a software business. Now you can do that for an iOS app. We'll give you the iOS app as well. We'll build in notification support, you know, so push notifications. We'll build in native screens with login. We'll build in password reset screens. We'll build in the best practices. So for Android, I use Hilt. I use, uh, you know, dependency injection. I'm using view models. I'm using, I'm using Compose in it. I'm using all the latest and greatest technology. And the thought process is, all right, You've built your Ruby on Rails application with maybe Jumpstart. Now you need the Android app. Okay, cool. Now you can just use the Android part of it and then clone that repository, 
build it. Now your application's on Android. You have push notifications. It allows you to come to market way faster. And we've kind of already set up all of the groundwork for you to just start working on your product and not have to worry about all of the initial details. Oh, very cool. So oh, oh, I, I got a couple of questions. This is no, this is this is great. <laughs> and this is, and I just want to let it know this like this is a, a commercial thing. Uh, Chris does charge for licenses for uh, Jumpstart Rails. There is a license for Android. There is a license for uh, iOS. But when you, and this is, I'm not trying to make this a sales pitch at all. I'm just explaining what it is. The way that I looked at it when I purchased the license to the Rails version, I think it was like $249 or something like that. I was like, wow, it's kind of expensive. And I thought, wait, $249 to save the amount of time to set all up? I'm like, that's insane. And the same thought process goes for like the mobile apps. The amount of time it takes to set all this up, it's like pennies on the dollar. That's why there's a price behind it. No, that makes perfect sense. And so I think the I guess that was my question, right? So you buy a license to use this for as many number of apps as you want, or is it per app you use this license? There's two different pricing models they have. One is going to be for a single site. So you can have a single application uh, or you can do an unlimited license and that way you can just do as many as you want. Ah, I see, I see, cool. And so for Android, uh, you basically have like this other license and it basic. so uh, if you were to start an app today, right? If you were to start a web app, would you basically just start with Jumpstart at this point? I will not use anything else. That, and that's that's me. Like I'm I'm a very much pragmatic person, right tool, right job. Now, sure, if you told me like, hey Don, I need you to go to build some, you know, Web three NFT thing, and I'm like, okay, like that's probably not the best thing to go build that stuff in. Now, I might go use you know Solidity or whatever. Um, but I would say for the majority of web apps or things out there that start like. Rails is a fantastic choice. I mean, look at, I mean, heck, I think even Instacart was built on Rails originally, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we still have like major parts of the app are all like very critically in Rails, so. Yeah, I mean, there's, you got that, you have Shopify, you have GitHub, there's all kinds of, I mean, people say it doesn't scale. It does scale, you just have to tune it. Um, You will run into issues, like anything you will when you get to scale, but for me, yes, going forward, it just allows me to get started much faster. And then I like the benefit of like, okay, now maybe this works as a like and i have another product called um which i won't release yet but it's out there and i don't need a mobile app for it so like i'm not even going to do it. it's just going to be completely web-based and it integrates with slack and microsoft teams and stuff like that so it's not like you have to go mobile that makes perfect sense i that it's all coming together (laughs) i finally feel like i kind of understand all of this one of the things that we didn't cover that i want to cover because i'm sure there's someone who has questions about this is all right how do you handle authentication Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. If you have a mobile application and you're in the web view and you also need to con- connect to an, an API, how does that happen? So, when you're in a web context, it's just commuting. You know, you click a link, it's talking to the web. The web view is doing the web stuff. It's just doing what it does. And 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 Turbo is in you know hopping in and making all the WebSocket stuff look fast. However, when we get into a native context. That's when you have to talk to an API because now you're in native. You can't just make a, I mean, you could make a web request. That'd be a real pain to do it like the web and form data and all that stuff, but you're going to want to talk to an API. And so for things like Jumpstart, we ship automatically with an API with a few endpoints built in, like sign in, sign out, uh, register for push notifications, stuff like that. So when we log in, what we do actually is we log in to the API. So the, the login screen is, is native. So when you hit login, it'll show you a native login screen. You'll type your credentials in, you'll hit submit. 
that will go out to the actual API, authenticating against the API. And the API, what it will do is actually sign in, give you an API key back, and it'll also give you back a session cookie for the web. So it gives you back two things. And then what we do is we take that session cookie and we say, and we tell Turbo, say, hey, Turbo, use this cookie to authenticate. And we just save that via the cookie manager in Android. I mean, it's really simple. You, the cookie manager, here's the cookie for this URL, you know, and uh, there's the session details, save that and then use that. And then we take the API key, save the IP somewhere secure. And then at that point going forward, anytime I want to talk to the API, I just use the API key and I use retrofit and I talk to the API. And then anytime the web is interacting, the web has already had its session key stored, the session cookie, and it just sends that cookie up and it's already authenticated. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You can use the API when you need it. And then the web is already authenticated. And then when we log out, all we do is we, you know, we clear the local API key and then we go into um, Turbo native Android or iOS, whatever. And we say, hey, clear out all your cookies and clear all that stuff out. Boom. Now you're logged out. Very cool. Uh, you know, the funny thing is authentication could be its own episode because uh, the question I was going to start with is like, well, how do we think about authentication, right? In the web and especially in Rails app, you know, you have like device and you have these things where you have, I forget what it is, uh, what the terminology is. Like, you know, you have the before hitting a controller, make sure you're authenticated. So you can just drop a single line and it'll always make sure that any request that comes in, you're authenticated. Otherwise, it'll like drop you into a 403 or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the Android side, it's interesting because when we talk about authentication on the mobile side, there's two levels, right? One is, yeah, you log in and usually you hit a web service or something that authenticates you. But when you're in, say, uh, you know, because there are these concepts of like, you know, JWT where you have token refresh, but if you don't have token refresh, right? Yeah. Where you have a single token and that expires for some reason, or you have to manually expire those tokens. Mm -hmm. If you're inside the Android app, typically that's not code that most developers write. You know, when I'm in activity B, C, D, E, or whatever they are, I don't necessarily check authentication as frequently, right? Now, granted, there are some uh, cases for apps where you do, or, you know, when it's a sensitive page and you're like, oh, well, you really need to make sure that you're authenticated, you can add that manual code, but more or less, rarely, like at least I've not, you know, been in the practice of like writing authentication, like validation in every single screen. No. You kind of rely on the API to do that, right? Like where the API, because inevitably every screen hits an API. And so that API like has the authentication. And that's the second, second piece you mentioned, right? Where there is, there's like the web authentication and there's the API authentication. And then there's the third piece, which is like on the native screen, if I don't want people to land on the screen, if they are not authenticated, then that check has to run again. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah, there's so much stuff you can do with the authentication stuff. And if you're using something like OKHTTP okay, or whatever, which, you know, I, I think we should probably probably even have an episode on like authentication, like you said, you know, you can use like what I'm using now in, in Jumpstart is I'm using interceptors and all I do to inside of those interceptors is just add the, you know, the authorization header and, and pass in the bearer token. And, and I send that up. And then you can also do other types of interceptors to get the results back. Maybe there's additional cookies that come back that you need to, to save. And I actually have one of those called like a received cookies interceptor. And it just saves all those cookies to the actual web view itself uh, via the cookie manager. Yeah, no, that's exactly what we do too, like for the auth interceptor thing, like, you know, the auth batter token. That's, yeah, the API level authentication. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, and the cool thing is about this, this, the jumpstart stuff too, is even on the server side, if I'm in the Rails application, based upon the user agent 
uh, it comes across as turbo native iOS or turbo native Android. And we just on the actual server, we just check to see, Hey, is this a turbo request? And there's actually a method helper in there saying, Hey, if, is this from turbo? So it can actually tell if this is coming from a native application. And if it can, then we can actually kind of do some different stuff on the server as well, if we want to. So there's all kinds of hooks in there. Uh, it's super useful again. So if you're, you know, if you're looking to build this stuff up and you're wanting to start something, it's worth taking a look at. But I think the benefit for me is just allowing, allowing me to be web where I want and native where I, where everywhere else, you know, or vice versa. Very cool. Very cool. So I feel I have a very good understanding. Well, <laughs> it's not very good, but I have a much better understanding than before. Before we round it up, though, so I do want to touch on, you know, maybe we quickly talk. We talked a lot about the advantages, what it's useful for. What are the disadvantages of this approach, right? Like, why would you not use this approach? Yeah, there's this is not all rainbows and puppy dogs, that's for sure. There's negatives here. I mean, there's a lot of context switching. It's mm. if I want to, if I need to interact between the web and the native, like I have to know how that works at at a pretty fine grain detail. Like, okay, where's this bridge at? Is am I sending this value over properly? Um, it can be difficult to debug at times. Uh, is you know. It can be also easy to break, you know, if certain values aren't coming across, all of a sudden your buttons don't work anymore. Something that should be sending a message to the native, to web or vice versa, just stops working. So you have to be diligent and, you know, writing your tests and being very careful uh, in that regard. Uh, and then you also have to worry about, hey, does the, are you developing your web views and is your web team taking into consideration how is this going to look on a, on a mobile application, on a mobile phone? Because... If you're using some type of responsive technology, like, you know, maybe Tailwind CSS or Bootstrap and it's responsive, okay, cool. But you still have to make sure it fits because sometimes you might have a table on the screen and that just looks like garbage on, on a mobile screen. So there are various different, you know, things you have to, to worry about there and you are managing different, you know, uh, different components. And I think one of the other things that's also difficult too, is you have to find, if you're finding someone. If you're not someone who's well-versed in Rails uh, and Android or iOS, you have to find someone who knows both, which can be problematic. And that's always been a problem for me when I'm trying to grow a team. So if I, you know, because the iOS component is Swift, like that's all Swift. I'm not a Swift developer. I'm sure I could figure it out. But if I want someone to help build out the Swift, I mean, the iOS part of it, and I need a special screen, native screen for that, I'm going to have to hire an iOS developer and get them onboarded and up to speed with what turbo native iOS is. So that can be a problem um, growing as well. Mm. No, that, that, I mean, all this like makes a lot of sense. It is interesting. Like all the things that you talk about where we are like, oh, like, you know, this is the challenge that context change is so important though. And it's funny because I was thinking about this and Flutter got that piece, right? You know, cause you're all writing the same language and it's available literally everywhere with the same language. It just so happens, though, that that language is new. And so it's, again, yet another thing you have to learn, right? So Kotlin, yeah, no, it is. And this is like me just rambling on general thoughts. Kotlin multi-platform is the promise, the promised land, I guess, where, you know, again, we're going back into the spirit of Flutter, which is we're writing Kotlin everywhere. But again, like, you know, how does that play? And like, you know, I've, I think it's advanced a lot, but, you know, each of these hybrid approaches inevitably lands up having some kind of limitation or the other, right? And it in the end, it's trade-offs. It's like, what trade-off are you willing to give, right? Like, well, are you willing to suck it up and make sure that you're going to find Rails and Android and iOS developers who have like knowledge about all three? Well, yeah, then this seems like the perfect approach. 
nope, only native, well, then maybe switch to something else, right? So it's always a challenge. Have you thought about that? Like, how have you sort of approached that problem, right? Is it just like, look, this is the current situation that I'm in and I'm going to use this technology? Or do you think ahead and then start moving down with an approach? If that makes sense. It's a very good question. And I think that's a, it's a very, it's one that's based in the theory of, you know, premature optimization. Um, <laughs> True. And the reason why I say that is because I've been victim to, we all fall into this at times of thinking oh, yeah. like, well, I'm going to need to do this and I'm going to need to support these situations. And this has got to be native because of this. And then eventually we never end up shipping our app or our side project or whatever. And for me, I approach things as a very pragmatic now of like, okay, what's the best way that I can get this side project, this new business out to test the idea? I don't even know if it's going to make money. I don't even know if this is going to work. So I need to get it out there as soon as possible. And using a technology like Hotwire allows me to do that. Like I can get the, and that's kind of the whole, the whole glue of the whole jumpstart trifecta there is, you know, we have the web, the iOS and Android. You can write your web app all in jumpstart. And then if you have licenses, iOS and Android, you can just basically change the logo, build it, and your app will be running on both mobile platforms like that. You don't really need to do anything else. It's, it will work right out of the box. and. Some people might be wondering like, why would I even do that? The big thing here is right out of the box, push notifications are supported. Now that is a humongous benefit that most people underutilize and underestimate the importance of because- Can, can you elaborate on that? Like the underestimate piece is where it's interesting. Cause I think I know what he's saying, but I'd love to like hear- Yeah. Uh, well, you can take a lot of your applications on iPhone, Android, and I forget if it's long click or wherever it's at in different platforms. And you can add them to your home screen or whatever. And basically it's just a icon that goes to a web page and hides the kind of the Chrome browser around it, but it's just a web app. The problem with these things are, is that there's no push notifications. And what that is, is that's a user engagement feature. And us as developers, most of us, myself included, hate push notifications. I despise them. Like I turn them all off. We're not normal. <laughs> go look at your that, that's funny like so yeah, i guess like and you mean like the developer community where you yeah, understand yeah. so deeply all these things but the i mean to, I, the, the common person i you know for lack of a better term uh is you're saying not you know they they love them some notifications <laughs> yeah they have their they'll have their notifications on i'm sure we've all seen a relative's phone that have like eight thousand notifications <laughs> you're just like how do you do that and they're just like Oh, I need them. I can't turn them off. And these push notifications are very, I mean, if assume that Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, assume that push notifications didn't exist, how much engagement would those apps get? The engagement would fall off the face of the earth. Now for me and you, like I have those notifications off, like I'll, I check it at intervals throughout the day or, you know, every other day or something like that. And so to me, I don't miss anything, but for, you know, like you said, the average user, they, they're not like that. They have their notifications on for Facebook and for everything else. And as soon as that ping comes in that, Hey, I got a new message from, you know, somebody, or I got someone like my comment or it replied to me, I can click on it. That user engagement feature is all out of this world, very valuable. And so out of the gate with the iOS and Android stuff, we just provide that. And so as a message gets sent from the back end, and we use, you know, uh, Apple's push notifications and we use Firebase cloud messaging, 
when those get sent in, it just gets delivered to the app as a native push notification. Then you click on it and that just launches a, a, a URL that was, you know, whatever something happening or whatever message came with it. And it opens the application that direct that that component. And what it is, it's just a it's a re-engagement feature that most people highly underestimate that's very, very valuable to most businesses. Hmm. No, for sure, for sure. Like uh, if you have entire teams that like focus on how they can tweak these to like, you know, make sure that like the user base is like getting a lot of these things. How do you drive it's an extremely crucial mechanism to drive user behavior? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a- absolutely right. Like you know, this is yeah, I, I know like it gets a bad rep sometimes it because does. it can be abused, which I think is the piece that most people like, you know, start to feel like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I understand I, that I don't too. Deal with this. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, even as it's funny because I turn all my notifications off and I'm, I'm also a big user of Instacart. So I, I get my groceries and I'm like, why am I missing a bunch of stuff? I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I have all my notifications turned off. And I go into the app and there's like all these chat messages from my shopper. And I'm like, oh, geez, dang it. And, it's, you know, it's my fault. I didn't, I wasn't getting notifications because I had them turned off. So I turned it back on. And now, uh, hey, I'll get the notifications when they're in the store. Like, hey, I can't find the peanut butter or whatever. So like, okay, here's what we can do instead. It's like a perennial problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, for you guys. Oh, yeah. All the time, <laughs> right? Because... You know, it, it's a big problem because also we're moving physical goods, right? So mm-hmm. the shopper is stuck saying like, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, you're telling me as a good customer experience, I'm supposed to like get feedback from the customer. The customer can be reached, right? Mm-hmm. And the customer is mad saying like, oh my God, I've been waiting like at my home, just like waiting for these groceries to be picked the whole time. Why am I not hearing from the shopper? And it's usually because, well, <laughs> the notifications aren't there. Um, so we, we try to do some things. We give people the option where you can SMS as well. Oh, sure. Uh, which as arcane as that sounds, you know, sometimes people just feel SMS works, you know? They do, yeah. That's a good point. This has been truly eye-opening for me. I feel I have finally gotten a handle of all these things because it's always been on my mind. I, I have enough knowledge to be dangerous, <laughs> but not enough to be effective. But now I feel... You know, it actually has given me inspiration to like see if I can check some of these things out. So thanks for taking the time to explain that. Yeah, definitely. And if you, anyone has any questions, feel free to to reach out to me and, and let me know. And uh, or even over on the Turbo Native Android library, um, Jay and the team are very active over there. So, you know, thanks. Real, you know, at this point we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So thank you to Jay and his team for for putting that library out there. It's uh it's fantastic. So thank you. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you and ask those questions, Don, where do they do that? Best place is going to be Twitter or Instagram. Depends on your favorite platform. And it's just going to be at my full name at Don Felker with two N's. And if folks want to reach out to you to pepper you with some questions, how can they do that, Kaushik? Uh, same, Kaushik Gopal. That's my full name, K-A-U-S-H-I-K-G-O-P-A-L, both Twitter, Instagram, and yeah, most places. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thanks, Don, for like enlightening me and answering mm-hmm. these burning questions that I've had. And stay tuned for more episodes. We've got a good lineup coming. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode.